Hello and welcome to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the week's TV news stories brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm reporter Hannah Bowler and this week I'm joined by Senior Media Researcher Alice Redman and Media Researcher Heather Fallon from Broadcast Sister Site, Broadcast Intelligence, to talk all things streaming. In the last 12 months, we've seen the media conglomerates launch their own asphalt services to rival Netflix, with four new platforms hitting the market. In 2019, industry commentators referred to this as the streaming wars. As 2020 draws to a close, the phrase has become a lot more nuanced. This year has obviously shaped out to be very different from the one that these companies have strategized for. So we're going to spend the podcast talking through some of this and looking back at the last 12 months of streaming activity. So hey guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having us, very excited. Thank you. So before we get stuck into things, I thought we would maybe just chat quickly through Broadcast's Commissioner Index, which is uh, something that you guys both work on. And I wondered if before we started, we could have a kind of quick sum up of what you guys do for the site. Commissioner Index pretty much does what it says on the tin and is an index of commissioners. So we cover at the moment the UK, the US and the asphalt market and we profile commissioners that you need to know about and how to pitch to them. Uh, We also interview the commissioners, we collect data on all the latest green lights and we currently have a programme database of over 18,000 programmes. So that also helps build a bit more of an in-depth understanding of what's going on. So clearly we're in a very different place to when Apple TV, the kind of first SVOD of the new SVODs out of the gate last year. Uh, we're in a bit of a different place to when it hit uh, in November of 2019. So I kind of wanted to gather from you guys, how do you think those kind of early predictions have fared from, you know, last year when everything was landing to this time of COVID? Um, how has how each kind of player stood up against its predictions before before they launched, I guess? Well, um, I think Apple TV Plus came in making a lot of noise. It spent the reported £6 billion on programming before even launching. And they had a crazy star-studded lineup and they were definitely in there to make a really big name for themselves. But their kind of core strategy was to have a very boutique curated slate of a small number of originals rather than a large library and I think that strategy has maybe not served them as well under COVID purely because they've had to suspend a lot of their programs this year and I think that that's probably meant that this year has been a little bit tougher than they hoped. I think churn is definitely something that we've seen as an issue across all of the new streamers in that They have lots of commissions that are really exciting and, you know, lots of aspirations for having a robust slate of original programming. And being so new, they have all had issues with producing enough content because they basically started programming and commissioning from when they were announced. And, you know, that this was only a couple of years ago now, so you can't have that volume of content in that time. But what I think is really interesting is um, Discovery Plus, which kind of, you know, we kind of knew something was happening with the Discovery SVOD, which was originally D-Play. But the kind of quietness of the productions they've made for Discovery Plus and then them saying it's coming out on January 4th and we actually already have all of these shows ready and in the bank, I think is quite interesting. Lots of people have you know, watched all of the content on Disney Plus now already because there's the original content that is. 
not the archive content because there's not that much there wasn't you know a huge swath of it at launch there was just kind of these really nice curated shows that were tentpole and bringing in the subscribers like the mandalorian but in actual fact you know you can finish those within a couple of weeks so disney launched globally as europe went into lockdown that led to a huge uptake in subscribers obviously it was a bad time for the world good time for disney um how has the pandemic shaped the asphalt market since these new players have joined if you take kind of disney and quibi as two sides of the best of the pandemic and the worst of the pandemic you know by q3 of 2020 disney had yeah they had 60 million worldwide subscribers which was one of their goals for the end of the 2024 fiscal year was to have have a mass between 60 and 90 so they've hit their 2024 target in q3 of 2020 and what was really good about the disney plus thing is that it came out at a time where people wanted that nostalgic comfort viewing and i think that probably really helped with getting that many subscribers you know it's like you're in a global pandemic here's this new streaming service and you can watch all the shows from your childhood I think that was just such an exciting proposition and then on the other side of the coin is Quibi because it just it didn't manage to survive I think it was it's sad that um you know they poured so much money into content and they got all of these big names and big talent and because of its proposition was on the go <laughs> content and no one was on the go that that didn't work and obviously there's some argument in was the actual proposition of Quibi flawed from the start would anyone have really even if we had like had been mm. on the go would anyone have used it actually so conveniently maybe if, if it hadn't been a global pandemic maybe it still would have fared the same and but now they get to blame COVID-19. <laughs> Yeah, I'd certainly be interested to see how things fare, hopefully next year, uh, when we're not all as confined to our living rooms, and whether things like the amount of original content versus acquired libraries of content, how much that will actually make a difference in the long term versus this year, because it's such a weird year for all of these streaming services to have launched, that it's almost difficult to tell how much that will actually impact them in, say, five, ten years' time. So the new streamers are certainly very deep-pocketed, backed by huge media conglomerates. Now, they've entered the UK indie sector with quite a bang, um, and I wondered, kind of, what what is the appetite from these streamers in the UK? Um, and kind of, how, is, how do you think that they impact the UK indie sector? I think mm. if you're a UK indie listening and thinking about these new streamers if we take the kind of main four that we've identified as the ones to watch so apple tv plus hbo max disney plus and um, peacock they offer kind of an opportunity for everyone so you know you range from disney plus which focused on the very family friendly content and i think the most success that we've seen out of the uk has been through the National Geographic Disney Plus Commission. So, you know, they have natural history more than anything. It's been so successful. They've had, you know, there's been three programmes coming out of the UK from Arrow Media, Blink Films and Newtopia, which has been, you know, huge for something that, for a service that has this giant studio behind it because it has the 20th Century Fox, it has ABC, it has Disney, it has all these studios and like, and some of the worry with these new streamers is they've got so much studio power behind them. Is there really any opportunity outside of 
working with a studio and I think the Disney plus Nat Geo pipeline is really you know one to watch and one to focus on if mm. you're looking to get onto Disney plus and I mean not all of them are very not all of them necessarily are you know seeking UK content if you take something like Peacock which has no international plans as yet you know firmly they will only go up to the co-production level they won't fully commission if you take something like Peacock I think there's more of a chance in the acquisitions and co-production space with Peacock which means that you that offers a different area of commissioning and a different way to um, make shows with one of the new streamers. I think I'm definitely inclined to agree that there's actually and I think the more that we worked on this report that we've been writing the more opportunities that I've been able to see across different levels of UK indie sectors but I think it very much depends on the streamer that you're talking about because say as I mentioned previously with the amount of spending that Apple is doing you know if you land a commission with them especially now that they've hired people like Jay Hunt and Alison Kirkham you're definitely going to be very pleased to see that commission come through your door but at the same time that I think is for a slightly more high-end indie with a much bigger pocket that can secure you know high talent HBO Max for instance has onboarded a lot of projects with UK broadcasters and has given those projects extra funding and has helped them kind of launch worldwide in a way that they might not have been able to otherwise and has really helped people achieve their creative vision by giving them that extra source of income and a little bit of extra funding for their projects so I think you have to know what you're looking to get out of those partnerships with streamers but at the same time if you can get them and you know where to find them then you're in a really good position to take a commission to a new place. Going kind of uh, revisiting Disney for a second there's quite a big announcement on the horizon and I wonder if you could kind of explain to our listeners what what's the shape of that talk talk me through that so basically disney plus has this family friendly image and i think from you know studying them and studying their content you know they're not it's not just children's content but the adult content has to be that if you know your five-year-old kid clicked on it and started watching it although the subject matter might be adult there'll be nothing that will um you know traumatize them they're not going to see you know adults having sex or smoking or you know but there is other adult subject matter can be touched on um I don't think we can say Disney Plus is a completely child you know completely children orientated streamer um so shows like High Fidelity which was greenlit for Disney Plus originally um have moved across to Hulu um Hulu is now kind of being positioned as the more adult offering within the Disney SVOD portfolio and you know, since for since the launch of Disney Plus, there's really been rumblings across the industry of Hulu launching internationally, and that's been really exciting for indies. And I know broadcasts ran a story about Liam Keelan, the UK-based Disney commissioner, briefing indies on um, what he wanted in terms of factual content for Hulu. And now it's emerged that this global Hulu, international Hulu, will actually be called Star, which is tapping into a brand that Disney had Disney own over in India called Hotstar. Lots of reasons for this, but I think the largest one is just the Comcast tie-in because Comcast still retains 30% of Hulu. Um, maybe it might be a bit more, but th- you know, roughly 30% of Hulu. 
and you know, if they launch international Hulu and those that stock rises, when Disney comes to buy it back, that's going to be a far more expensive buyback for um, Disney. Um, so they're launching Star internationally as the adult offering to Disney+. Plus. So I predict, I mean, obviously we've got this um, investor day coming up, but for me, I predict that it will... Star will basically just be the international Hulu without the Hulu name. And it's going to have the ability to bank on all of the archive shows across ABC and FX and things like that. So, you know, I think a streamer where you can watch Grey's Anatomy and American Horror Story and all of that under one roof that's also linked to your Disney Plus account is going to be a really exciting prospect. And it will mean, if I think they'll probably, they'll bundle the, they'll bundle the service and it'll probably mean that you know you get the best of both worlds out of a joint subscription I mean for for me I feel like that would that would totally sell me because Disney plus as it stands has not really attracted me but yeah give me the rest of that stuff and I'm totally here for it so I think in the UK we watch shows that are from ABC or FX and because they're acquired by channels we don't know really know where it comes from like I would never look at Grey's Anatomy and think, oh, that's from ABC until, you know, having this job and having that knowledge, you know, but as a standard consumer, I wouldn't have a clue. But if Grey's Anatomy, I'm outing myself as a big Grey's Anatomy fan here, but if it suddenly disappeared <laughs> off Amazon Prime, but was on this Disney streamer, of course I would consider, you know, making the switch. And it's got all this other content offerings that are premium content that people really love over here, you know, American Horror Story is huge over here. I think that's definitely a really exciting proposition. It'd be interesting to see what Disney do with their um, with their content deals at the moment, because obviously all of the ABC and FX content is acquired by UK broadcasters now. And I think it'd be really interesting to see how those deals, if those deals continue, or if we suddenly see all of Disney's content being removed from the likes of Sky and Amazon and Netflix in the UK moving forward. These four that we're talking about mainly today aren't the only streamers that have hit the market in the last sort of 12 months. And we also quickly spoke about Quibi and Discovery Plus. Are there any other ones that are on your radar? Got things like Paramount Plus, which I think is really interesting and something that UK producers should really keep an eye on. Um, Paramount Plus is basically the new name for what was CBS All Access. um, And it's offering kind of the best of the Viacom CBS portfolio um and it's got some new exciting things like a godfather a behind a behind the scenes godfather drama basically is what it is and um you know things that really again tap into tap into what Paramount is widely known for Paramount own you know the Paramount was the studio for the godfather films and you know that's really interesting that they're using that, those kind of IP propositions for, for that. So Heather and Alice, for the UK indie sector, what do, you, what do you both kind of think is the key thing for people to know about these new streamers? I think above all, the key thing is to know how targeted their audiences are. And that's something we found with this. Whereas you have your Netflix and Amazon who are very, you know, want to be more so Netflix and Amazon, but want to be every type of programming for everyone. The news streamers are very targeted in who they, what their audience is and what their programming is. And I think arming yourself with the most of that knowledge, as much as that knowledge as you can, 
just sets you in such good stead to pitch them because HBO Max is, you know, targeted towards the 18 to 34 with a female skew. And you wouldn't be misguided to assume that when you're pitching to HBO Max, you should take them something that, that is very HBO-like. But it's actually not. They're trying to go for the non-HBO audience at HBO Max. So having that kind, those, that kind of knowledge, I just think is really invaluable, to be honest. And that's something we found with our, with, while we've been producing our latest report, which is called Working with the New Streamers, which basically advises indies on how best to approach and work with these new streamers. Because ultimately, you, in, like with every pitch, you need to arm yourself with as much information as you possibly can, uh, in the same way that if you're going to go and pitch to the BBC or Channel 4, you know what makes a BBC programme or a Channel 4 programme because you hear the commissioners talking about it, Edinburgh or Sheffield or wherever it may be. And I think the streamers are slightly more shrouded in mystery. I think especially, I think the the streamers are slightly more shrouded in mystery and just digging up as much information as you possibly can and going in knowing exactly what you want and telling them exactly what you're going to pitch is the best way that you can get a green light from those streamers. So you guys have got uh, a report coming out, is that correct? Yes, we can confirm that we have a report coming out. So for the past couple of months, we've been looking at Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Apple TV+, and Peacock, and kind of analysing their current strategy, as well as thinking about what they are going to want in the future in order to best kind of inform producers who are looking to take pitches or co-productions or even acquisitions to these streamers. We also looked at some of the smaller and new upcoming streamers. I say smaller, they're huge. Um, but the more the kind of more emerging streamers, which are Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, and the Hulu slash Star offering that we spoke about a bit earlier. We, you know, we interviewed people mainly off record, actually, which was also very interesting. An interesting difference with the new streamers is that even when we had, you know, people talking to us, it was all still shrouded in mystery. So we looked at the background of each of the streamers. So why they launched, how they launched their global prominence. We've listed the content team of each of the streamers. We've looked at their programming strategy, as well as using the broadcast intelligence program index data, which we pulled all of the commissions since the streamers have been announced. And we pulled all that data and kind of analyzed that, which has been really enlightening, I think, in terms of, you know, who's, who's, kind of gone the Netflix route and concentrated on big scripted originals first or who's launched with an actually 50-50 split between scripted and non-scripted. We also spoke to some producers who have worked with the streamers to kind of see how they found working with the streamers and then we've ended each chapter with a case study of of the program which looks at how and why that commission worked well for that streamer. Kind of on that point then I know as avid listeners of the News Wrap podcast, uh, you'll be familiar with our What We've Been Watching segment. Now, talking about those kind of case studies, I wondered if you maybe wanted to tell me or enlighten me to you guys' favourite show from the new streamers, because they're kind of new. There might not be something that has TX yet. So if you can't think of your favourite show, what are you looking forward to coming out? Oh, question. Heather, you go first. (laughs) 
Uh, so I'm actually really looking forward to the Gossip Girl reboot at HBO Max. As a fan of the old series and also hitting that 18 to 34 female skewing demographic, <laughs> I I think it looks really exciting and I really like that it's taking a look at a more modern New York and they've got a much more diverse cast than they did last time and they're gonna delve into some different storylines exploring like LGBTQ themes and race and other aspects of life that maybe weren't quite so touched upon last time but I think it still looks like it's going to have that feel good kind of warm bath telly that everyone likes so much. Thinking back on the original Gossip Girl yeah that was not that that didn't really nail diversity. No, no 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 still a good watch but I think that the reboot has a lot of promise. Did you know that Dan was always going to be Gossip Girl from the beginning? <gasps> people might not know. <laughs> Sorry. It's years oh, old now. That. I feel like people should know that Dan was Gossip Girl in the most disappointing finale. No, to be honest, I had absolutely no idea. I watched it completely in the dark. I was really rubbish at breaking that down. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And Alice? I am a known big Disney fan. And I think my favourite thing, I watched this during the pandemic and it was just a nice little warm bath, um, was the Imagineering story on Disney Plus, which basically was a docu-series which told um, the story of how the Walt Disney theme parks came to be. So it started in the, I think like the 40s maybe, very early on with the first park in California, took you through to you know the opening of the parks in Japan and things like that which were some of the most recent um and I just found it really interesting because to be honest the Imagineers are literally you have to be kind of like an engineer and a creative and you're kind of they've just got such a wonderful job being like I'm just going to make a whimsical ride about Frozen and you know that's their whole job and I was like damn I wish I was cleverer to have that job but it was just a night it was just a nice watch in a time when the world was chaos basically mm-hmm. I might not have you know March 2020 I might have not had toilet roll but I had a documentary about the Disney theme parks to get me through <laughs> and that is the secret of Disney success it is that's why I am one of their 60 million subscribers <laughs> I also got excited for the Fresh Prince of Belair remake because they've made it mm. they're remaking it as a dark and gritty tale um and it really interestingly came about because some filmmaker made like a fan video retelling it in that way and then Will Smith went and met him and was like oh wow this was like an amazing take on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and then there's a whole YouTube series from Will Smith's legendary YouTube where he goes and meets them and is like oh this is great and then six months down the line he's like I'm calling them to tell them the good news that it's been commissioned by Peacock so, you know, if you're interested, you can watch that whole commissioning story on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're going to reboot something, if you're going to use an old piece of established telly and you want to reboot it, then you definitely have to take it on with a 2020 sensibility. You can't just remake an old show that you can feel the age of it. You have to look at how 
you can make it feel re relevant for now. Great. Well, thanks, team. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you guys have had a nice time on the podcast today. I've had a lovely time. Yeah, thanks for having us, Hannah. It's been lovely to be on my second favourite broadcast podcast after Commissioning Conversations, the podcast that me and Heather work on. And if you are a fan of Commissioning Conversations, we've got an exciting announcement that it's coming back in January 2020 after a bit of a hiatus with a new revamped format. Can I get a woo? Whoop. Great. Love it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks. You've been listening to the Broadcast News Wrap. I'm reporter Hannah Bowler, and you've been listening to the Stellar CI content team, senior media researcher Alice Redman, media researcher Heather Fallon. You can check out past episodes of the pod on Spotify and iTunes or on the website via www.broadcastnow.co.uk.